Welcome to Michigan Opera Theater's Opera Here podcast. This is Andrea Scobie and Arthur White with Michigan Opera Theater. We are thrilled you have joined us today as we take a look at Pietro Mascagni's Cavalleria Rusticana and talk with some very special guests. MOT's newly appointed Associate Artistic Director, Christine Gerke, who will be taking up the role of Santuzza and two of her co-stars, Catherine Martin and Ronita Miller. This one-night-only production marks the first time that MOT has produced Rusticana in the company's 50-year history, and we couldn't be more excited to have this classic of Italian opera open our new season. Cavalleria Rusticana is a one-act opera written by Italian composer Pietro Mascagni off the 1880 short story of the same name by Giovanni Verga. The opera debuted in 1890 in Rome and is considered the quintessential Verismo opera. Verismo was a post-romantic, realistic style of opera, which rejected stories centered around royalty and the mythological and magical, and instead focused on the stories of everyday people and their lives, which often resulted in gritty plots full of sexuality and violence. At the end of the 19th century, social revolution in Europe was underway. Monarchies had less influence as democratically elected parliaments began to emerge. An emphasis on the living conditions of the majority now brought things like public education and an opportunity to travel via rail with the advancement of the Industrial Revolution. This was the backdrop the 27-year-old composer from Livorno, Italy, Pietro Mascani, would bring his most celebrated opera in 1890 by submitting his opera in a competition and winning it. The prize was having his opera publicly performed in Rome. Now, Rusticana's action all takes place on Easter Sunday and centers around a couple's love triangle, betrayal, and murder. Turidu, having returned home from military service, discovers his fiancée Lola has married Alfio. Now, in revenge, he seduces Santuzza to make Lola jealous. Turidu soon discards the devastated and sorrowful Santuzza and begins an adulterous affair with the married Lola. In a moment of jealousy, Santuzza reveals this affair to Lola's husband, Alfio, and Alfio kills Turidu in a duel. Wow. So we did talk about gritty realities and violence in Verismo opera, and I guess uh, Cavalleria is no exception, right? <laughs> that is, you're exactly correct. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to think just two years later, uh, we see uh, an even more, you know, uh, devastating opera in Pagliacci, which often you'll see these two operas, you know, paired together. Uh, in Rusticana, we don't actually see the, the murder of, um, of uh, Turidu by Alfio, but uh, in, in just two years later, we actually do see the murder of Canio killing his uh, wife directly there on stage before a, probably a very shocked uh, public at that time to see someone so brutally murdered like that uh, was unusual in Italian opera. Yeah, I have to say, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. I have to imagine that audiences were pretty shocked by both, you know, this piece and the pieces that were to come later. No doubt about it. And also, I was just thinking, you know, uh, thinking of Verismo, you know, uh, another opera, which we, we may not always think about it being Verismo, uh, is uh, La Boheme, which, you know, appears, what, six years later. But this idea of an opera centering around, you know, for, uh, a group of bohemians, you know, experiencing love and loss in Paris, that was unusual as, a, as, a, as the title characters of an opera. Uh, minus all the, 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 the you know, the, the gore and uh, murder, of course. Uh, poor Mimi just dies at the end of uh, consumption. But uh, yeah, you can see now that Puccini also has his foot in the, in the Verismo style. 
Oh, yeah. Well, we'll have the chance to explore that later in our season. Uh, it's, it's interesting to, that you brought that up, Arthur, completely unscripted. Yeah, we'll have both of these pieces on our season this year. I didn't even think about that until you just said it. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. It's just the season of Verismo here at MOT, I think. Uh, I think it's pretty exciting to be able to explore these stories. And we have uh, a panel of guests today um, talking about exploring the stories. We've uh, invited the ladies of Rustakana to talk about their characters and the role of women generally in this piece uh, and in others. Um, who will we hear from today, Arthur? So our Lola is a Catherine Martin, who is a, certainly no stranger uh, to MOT audiences. She bowed as a Valtrauta in our very successful production of Twilight Gods this past uh, fall. Uh, Florida native Renita Miller, uh, who has sung all across the country, uh, takes up the role of Mama Lucia. She has uh, done that role uh, as a resident artist at the Deutsche Oper Berlin and also uh, did it with the uh, Chicago Symphony just last year. And of course, uh, Christine Gerke, uh, uh, the world's leading Brunhilde, who has distinguished herself as really the dramatic soprano of our days. Well, welcome. We are so glad to have all three of you here with us. So we turn to our question section here. I'm so thrilled to speak with Christine Gerke. Uh, Christine, you had mentioned during one of our in conversations last season leading up to Twilight that you were thinking of doing the role of Santuzza one day. And so I'm wondering, why is this a must sing now? Uh, and tell us, what are you going to bring to this role, you know, vocally, dramatically? Why is this a must? Why is it a must-sing ever? It's it's an incredible role. Um, it's one of those roles that, for me, I am one of those singers that we can't quite figure out if I'm a soprano or a mezzo or I live someplace in the middle. And good, I like to keep you all guessing. But I feel like this role sits very much where a lot of the Wagner and Strauss dramatic soprano roles that I have sung sits. You know, it's a lot of big middle voice singing with some fantastic high notes. And then, you know, you give those high note babies back to their aunties and come back to the middle where I like to live. Um, I, I love this character, actually. You know, I, I feel so badly for her. Um, but boy, do I see a lot of myself in her. You know, I... I see this woman who desperately wants to find happiness and sees it constantly being taken away from her at every moment, even though she tries to do the right thing all the time. But the, the moment that comes when she has to make a decision about vengeance, that's, that's a hard one. You know, we've all been put in a situation where we have been so furious and, and we hold somebody's fates in our hands, whether it is career-wise or, you know, ratting out your little sister, says the woman with two teen daughters, you know. But, I mean, we, we have an opportunity to really make a decision that affects someone's life. And sometimes it's really difficult to make the right decision. Um, so I have to say, just for me, I think that she is a really human character. And I am really excited to get in front of the orchestra and join my amazing colleagues. This cast is fantastic. And uh, see what comes of this. And I'm really happy to be doing it at MOT. And we are thrilled you are doing it at MOT, especially your first one. It's also, by the way, for our, our listeners, it's the first time uh, we're mounting a production of this opera in our 50-year history. So how perfect. Yeah. Christine, you know, talking about your character, you know, thank you for bringing us to that. It brings me uh, right to my first question, because I wanted to hear from each of you about the roles that you play, these three very different women. Um, and Catherine, I'd love to start with you. I'd love to talk about Lola. 
this is a person who is bold in her actions. Uh, Lola's married, but she brings her former lover, Turidu, into her home and into her bed, and she invites him to church the next morning, Easter Sunday. How do these actions speak to Lola's willingness to go against societal norms? Uh, why is it that she's so willing to play with fire? Is she naive or is it just that she's emboldened by love? Uh, what's happening with Lola in this opera? Yeah, Catherine. <laughs> sure. I think um, since I'm a mezzo, naive doesn't resonate very much with any of the characters I sing. <laughs> um, and so I do think that even, I, you know, I've sung Amneris and some other things like that. I think a lot of these characters are really driven by their own wants, their own desires. Um, and I think she really does love him. And he leaves. Um, and she's just scared that she's going to be alone. And so she gets married. At least that's, that's how I see it. Um, and I think she is, you know, does these bold actions in order to, you know, she's just kind of following her own desires and whims. And um, I think she's probably not thinking too far ahead. Um, but I, I, I have a hard time with naive. I think um, she's just kind of a little bit maybe blindsided by, by what she wants to be doing. And, um, you know, Lola doesn't have a ton of singing. So it's a little hard. You have to kind of see what other people say about her, see when she comes in. It's actually in my score. It's called Lola's Diddy, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, her little song. And so, um, yeah, I think that, that she's just kind of doing what she wants, which especially, you know, in the story that that's pretty exciting and different. And most people are so, you know, shunned from society that she, I don't know, somehow has the gall to do what she wants, which is a really big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, there's so much restriction, you know, she's up against so much restriction as all of these yeah. characters are. And so for her just to just be kind of following her heart, which is a cliche thing to say, but you know, what I'm hearing from you is that's really what, what she's driven by. Yeah. I want to turn to our uh, Mama Lucia, Renita Miller, uh, who, by the way, I should mention, uh, last sang this role literally days before the shutdown of the pandemic last year with the Chicago Symphony. I know one of the reviewers had called her a warm voice expertly understated Lucia. So perfect Mama Lucia, that is. Uh, but uh, so tell us, uh, if you would, Renita, just tell us, uh, you know, uh, Mama Lucia finds out about her son's uh, Turidu and Lola's affair. She finds this out at the beginning of the opera by Santuzza. But she never, of course, acknowledges with him or really takes him to task about this reckless behavior. But she does find she takes time to give him his blessing right before this duel with Alfio. So can tell us about this, this sort of unconditional love. Uh, tell us, is there a male-female maybe power dynamic here where she really doesn't, uh, you know, take him to task about his behavior? Um, she doesn't take him to task, but I don't think she gives her blessing either. Uh, she, she never says, I bless you. She never says, benedicion. Those words never come out of her mouth. Her, her son is saying, you know, kiss me, kiss me again. Adio, you know, I, I'm going. But I don't think she quite understands the weight of what's about to happen because um, I think had she really realized it, she would be a lot more upset. I think that Mama Lucia has maybe the classic parental blind spot when it comes to her son. And that may be due to the fact that she is a widow. Uh, you, you never hear tell of a husband, but you, you know, she's, she's in black, it's Easter. Um, so I think it's, it's a case of, okay, I know my son is 
probably not the greatest son, but he's my son and he's all that I have left. So I don't think she takes him to task with that regard. Uh, I think she, you know, she is not a fan of Santuta, but she gives Santuta more of a blessing than she does Turidu, because she says, Ayutate Lavoy, Santa Maria, at the end of their scene where Santuta, you know, is telling her everything. Um, so I, I, I think it may be several levels, um, a generational thing. She, I think Mama Lucia knows parts, but probably doesn't know everything. I, I know she knows <laughs> that her son has had affairs and, but like I said, I think it's just, it is a case of so many factors why she actually doesn't say to him, you're wrong, you have to stop what you're doing. It's just, you know, there is part of that unconditional, he's my son, this is what I have. But she never, she never, she doesn't give her him her blessing. I, I never, think- you know, it's funny, Renee, if I may interrupt, I never really thought about that. She never <laughs> actually says the words, does she? I never really thought about that in all these years. But like I said, at the end of the scene with Santuta, mm-hmm. much more of a resolution there. And even at the end of the opera, when she says, Turidu, you know, she, she says, why are you talking like this? Why? She, she never actually says that. Turidu does most of the talking at the end of the opera. And she's left wondering, well, he runs away. And she was like, oh my God, where'd he go? And then she goes, Santuzza. And Santuzza is then the refuse. And she goes, oh, you know, and they sort of pray together, but she doesn't really know. Santuzza knows. Christine, you started to tell us a little bit about Santuzza. This is a woman who's been rejected by her lover, Turidu, but also by society and by the church because of this love. Um, And you referenced this moment of vengeance and this decision she has to make. Um, You know, Santuzza outs the Lola-Turidu love affair to Lola's husband, Alfio, which causes him to swear vengeance. Um, Tell us about this moment for Santuzza. Is she... She has to have known what's going to come of telling Alfio what was happening. Was she enacting her own kind of vengeance on Turidu for abandoning her? Was this vengeance on Lola for stealing the man she loves? Um, and was this revelation, you know, knowing, uh, knowing conscious decision, or is she overcome by the passion of the moment? Talk to us about what's going on here. Yes. Um, That is so not an easy question. You know, the thing is that all of those questions are exactly the kind of things that I ask myself anytime that I'm doing a role, not even just for the first time, but anytime I'm going into a rehearsal period, because the, the bigger answer is that every single one of those things is possible. And depending on where you find yourself in that moment, once you've staged the rest of the piece, any one of those things can actually be the answer. Um, I, this is huge, you know, I mean, she's been excommunicated from the church. And 
Catherine and I were pre-gaming a little bit uh, two days ago, and we were chatting a bit about the relationship, the possible relationship, because there's not a lot for, for us to go on as far as the relationship between all of the characters in the town. We're, you know, we have five minutes, we hear amazing music, and then people are dead because opera. But we were talking about, um, you know, what is the possible relationship? How did, you know, Lola and Santuzza know each other? Um, you know, that's a very good possibility that they were great friends, um, you know, and we were talking about it, you know, I, I, I was a super band geek, right? And um, growing up and in elementary school, one of my very best friends lived down the street from me. And, you know, we've all had these experiences where, you know, you start to grow up and you start to sort of come apart. You know, she became the popular cheerleader and I went and I sat in the band room and learned to play six woodwind instruments. And we just, we didn't have anything in common anymore, but we were always close and we always looked out for each other. We just, we weren't on the same wavelength anymore. And, you know, if you sort of imagine that this is the relationship that these two women had, you know, Lola always gets the man, Santuz is always, you know, bridesmaid, never bride. And, uh, you know, now there is this moment where she she has found what she feels like she's looking for. But um, <laughs> what we talked about is that uh, Catherine asked, do you think that he really loved her? And I was like, oh, no, I think she's rebound girl. She's so rebound girl. It's not even funny. <laughs> Which is kind of sad, right? You know, um, because I don't know about y'all, but I've been there. I've been there and I've been so sad about it. I'm mm -hmm. over it. I'm fine now. Don't worry. You don't have to write letters. I'm good. But um, <laughs> but it really, it, it's a thing. And um, to not only know that you have lost this person that you thought was going to be your everything but not lost it to the person that you may have been friends with you you see get everything that she wants and you get nothing always and the kicker is the conversation going into the church saying you know well some of us can afford to go to church have a good day happy easter <laughs> oh really hold my beer okay hold on <laughs> you know and that's the moment where you know she santuza is a god-fearing woman and she, she has not only lost this relationship, she's lost everything. Mm -hmm. She has lost the fact that she, her, her faith can, it's, it's now pulled away from her because she doesn't have that anymore either. So, you know, there's that moment I feel like, you know, the, the, the thought has to cross her mind, you know, I'm, I'm damned already. I'm damned already. And I am not going to see this woman get the thing that I need, I want. I am not going to see someone else treated the way that I was just treated, Alfio. I am not going to let this man get away with this. And the thing that she doesn't know, of course, is that he has told Mama Lucia to look after her. You know, and so there's a lot of tragedy here and a lot of stupidity and opera. <laughs> I was going to say, Christine, I love how you talked about having this sort of backstory. It's almost like watching an episode of Jerry Springer or something. It is kind of, <laughs> but you know, you have to have, when there's not a backstory and, you know, we were all talking about this a couple days ago, there's not a lot of backstory. And if there's nothing to cling to, there's nothing to build on. So even if the, my made up backstory isn't quite right, I have something in my head, you know? I love that. Mm -hmm. And Catherine and Christine, I love that you have 
have talked about this and started to work out this relationship because it's certainly something, you know, that I wanted to ask today. Um, you know, it's kind of a common tired trope that we see that women have to be pitted against one, one another, um, especially where a man is concerned. And I, and I wanted to ask if you saw Rustakana playing into that trope or if there was more nuance to the specific story of these two specific women in conflict. And it sounds like you've really thought that through. Well, I mean, Catherine, we, the two of us, as I said, mm-hmm. we're talking about this. And, uh, you know, I mean, it is a tired trope. But if we don't come up with a reason behind what's happening, then it's just something shallow and face value. And that gives nothing to the audience. And that's our job, to be able to find that relationship, find what that is. Um, you know, I, we, it, let's say we were friends and let's say I can completely understand that she wants to be happy. And let's say I know she didn't love Alfio and she married him because she knew that it was going to be security and her life would be taken care of. And would I have done the same thing? Who knows? Alfio's a good man. So good for her, right? We all know people who have fallen out of love with the, the great love of their lives, quote unquote, and they have found something that is enough for them. And it is enough for the other person. And, you know, we, we can't judge those relationships because that kind of love is equally important in life. But um, I don't know, Catherine, what do, you, what do you think about this? Well, I also, we had talked about their ages, which I thought was yeah. interesting. You know, if their ages were similar or if, you know, I was a little bit ahead of her or behind her. And we had kind of come to the conclusion that we were probably, you know, in the same grade as Christine said. Um, <laughs> she also definitely has uh, high school girls because I remember those exact things happening to me. You know, people you've been friends with since middle school or elementary school, you get to high school and you kind of start doing different electives and slowly <laughs> start making different friends. Um, and I definitely was not in the popular girls group. So I'm gonna have to do some real acting with that. Um, <laughs> But I also think like it is a common trope for women to be pitted against each other. But I also think more importantly, the, the theme of love, which really 99.9% of all music comes from love or hate. And it's like, you know, I hate you because I love you and I love you. You know, it's just, it's so ingrained and it's one of the most powerful feelings on the planet. And so I think that's why it's just so deep and such an emotional bond that you feel like you have with someone that that's why these things come out. And that's why, um, you know, specifically women or anyone are really pitted against each other is because of that. Um, such a strong duality of those things. And I don't know. I think a lot of times I I do find like, I think more and more about Lola and I'm like, that's kind of selfish, (laughs) but I think, you know, you have to keep finding humanity in your character and like them and try to see their point of view, even if it's obviously not yours or like the fact that she has the gall to walk into church. You're like, huh? That is so sassy. I think that's the thing. I'm like, are you really? Are you really? Oh, look, he's going to. Fantastic. Happy Easter. I, you know, I want to hear from each uh, each of the three of you. You know, it's it's not a stretch to say that women are not generally the most empowered characters in opera. Um, I, I'm hearing even from both of you, you've had to do a lot of your own work to sort of fill in, uh, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, this is not an art form that has historically allowed women to tell their own stories. Um, and I wonder if each of you could comment on how do you reconcile this absence in the 21st century? Are we, are we just presenting kind of museum pieces or can opera like Rustakana tell us something about women's experiences here and now? Oh boy, who wants this one first? 
not a loaded question at all. Not at all. Renita has been quiet. Let's make her do it. Go get her, Renita. <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't think that they are museum pieces. Uh, the reality is, is that in this time, you, you see women not quite as empowered, but that dynamic still exists today. You know, um, there are places and times and situations, even though the fight is there, that women are still fighting for empowerment, empowerment, in many, in many <laughs> cases. Um, and the, the thing is, is that these characters, and I don't actually, I, I will speak personally, I actually don't say much. I think I have lines. I, do, I don't sing a song. I don't, you know, I get to, she is, Mama Lucia is a strong character because everyone goes to her, ex, everyone except Lola. I think Lola and Mama Lucia are like complete opposites. Lola is very forward thinking. She does what she wants. Mama Lucia is very religious. This is what this is. You know, I think that even in these cases, the action is really dependent upon these women. You know, the men take the courses that they take because of the women. You know, these are, these are mm. crimes of passion. Crimes of passion are committed. Uh, Alfio kills to redo because it's a crime of passion. And the women are not passive. They aren't empowered, but they're certainly not passive because you hear the stories through them. You see different personality types. You see Lola, who's very free. You see Santuzza, who's conflicted and, and trying to, you know, fix things and do the right thing. And, you know, she, she has her past and she has what she wants. So I don't think that, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with telling these stories because, you know, these stories are human stories. These things still do happen and I'm sort of bleeding over um, the topic, but you know, the thing is, is crimes of passion will not go away. People will have affairs. This is just human nature, you know, so I yeah. I agree with you. I'm just, I have yeah. to say that I think that th the point that you're taking is in fact that there's more female empowerment here than you might see at first glance. Correct. You know, it, it, it really is that. And the thing is, the women are the driving force behind the story. And you know, the men react the way that the men react. But in fact, the women are the ones that put this all into play. Yeah. You know, the mm -hmm. decisions of the women. The decision that Mama Lucia doesn't, doesn't completely shoo Santuzza away. She does talk to her. And as the Sicilian Catholic in the room, I promise you, what Renita it, just said is right. <laughs> it's, it's really, yeah, because she knows, Santuzza, I mean, um, Mama Lucia knows. And that's why her first words to Santuza are so cold. It's like, yeah. oh, it's you. What do you want? Like, mm. she knows the inherent danger because everyone in town, small town, everyone knows that Santuza has been excommunicated. And yet she's still, she, I mean, even in her small way, Mama Lucia still defies and says, Ayutate la voy, Santa Maria, to Santuza. That's right. huge. That's a huge moment. It is. Yeah, I, I, they're not passive. They're not passive. They 
in their time, it is such a bold story to be told in its time, which is why it is so compelling still today because the opposition of religion versus lust versus marital laws and, and passion, those will never go away. And as you were talking, Renita, I was thinking about how <laughs> it is so different, but it's also so similar. I think a lot of women and societal obligations on women are to feel a lot of the guilt or the pressure or, and you think about it and you're like, do the men, like, I feel like even Lola taking him in, it's like, I can't believe she did that. And I believe, I can't believe he's going in there with her. Um, I don't know. I just think there's a lot more, um, guilt and, um, things that women have to kind of bear just in society that a lot of that is still present and was then, then, you know, it was always there and it's always been there. And it's just interesting to think about it now with a 2021 post Corona lens on, you know, taking responsibility for everyone and everybody having, you know, obligations to each other as a whole and not just like the women taking the brunt of that, which is kind of seems more and more as we talk about this, that this opera, like the women really are steering the ship. Thank you. I agree with each of each of the points that you all made. I see that so clearly and strongly and um, appreciate you uh, just putting it, putting it in the lens of today, especially, you know, especially this 2021, you, you were reading so much about what this time has done to women with children and women in the workplace specifically. And there's so much that we're carrying. Um, and you see mm-hmm. that for each of the women in these operas. Now, Ruth Takana uh, was a leader uh, in the Burismo style. So when this is a time when audiences were hungry for stories about their lives uh, and experiences. We were sort of just coming out of the romantic period. Uh, this was Mascani's only big operatic success. Uh, why do you think we find ourselves continually coming back to this piece after uh, 130 years? Anybody want to weigh in, Christine, maybe? The music is so passionate. And I know that's a a generic thing to say, but, you know, I I love it when there is a piece, especially that people think that they don't know it. And then they show up and they're like, oh, hang on a second. I know that bit. (laughs) You know, everybody actually does know a little bit of this piece. It's not the singing bits necessarily, but it, there is something so lush and so gorgeous and you know, the Verismo style, it is really hurling all of your emotions and all of your being and all of your sound. It's, it's to me, this is the coolest part of this kind of writing. And this kind of love-hate, as Catherine said, this, this passion, this is heavy duty. And it's heavy duty all the time. I don't know if I could handle two acts of this piece. <laughs> so to me, I just think that People come for the sheer wash of sound, the visceral experience that, that you know, the, the music, it vibrates through your whole body. And I think that everybody can relate to these stories on some level, you know, and, and that is the funny thing. As Renita was saying, this is something that does endure. And so between this incredible style of writing and between this unbelievably lush and thick orchestration, it, it is something that reaches into your soul and it grabs you. And I think that we can't avoid coming back to it for that reason. Can I ask you another question, uh, uh, Christine, as well? Yeah. You know, I watched you do the immolation scene back to back to back like a hundred times in a row. It was so only it's 64. In- oh, okay. Probably, probably, yeah, okay. <laughs> only just so, the 64. 
So to hear you say, you know, even two acts of Rusticana, tell us what are what are some of the the challenges? Is it a vocal? Is it the dramatic? What what are some of the challenges of this piece that you're saying? After I can do the emulation scene, this piece has its own challenges as well. No, you know the thing is though, it's it is different. It's a different connection emotionally. Um, I, you know, for me, it really is. I somehow or another, I can very easily look at a score like Gotterdammerung, or I can look at a score like insert large thing here, Electra, any of these things. And I can very easily say, right, there is a way that I have to pace this and I have to disconnect here, 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 and here in order to survive this. And I have to really be able to throw everything I am at the role in this moment. You can't do that with this music. You know, even small lines, even small conversations are huge. Something that might seem conversational. I mean, the very first thing I walk in, Dite Mama Lucia. Okay, that is already loaded, <laughs> you know? And it's nothing. But there's so much emotion and so much tension before she even opens her mouth. And that starts from the beginning of the piece, and it does not end until the curtain comes in. And so it is a different emotional connection for me with this kind of music. And, you know, I, I feel like, I don't leave exhausted and you don't leave exhausted. We haven't done our job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that Christine has really hit on, you know, the, the point of it is that these, these stories do endure because they are us because they, as I said before, crimes of passion will not stop happening because that is, it's a human experience to feel passion and desire and lust and, and guilt and regret and all these things. And the music is just so wonderful. I want to thank our special guests, Renita Miller, Catherine Martin, and of course, uh, Christine Gerke for joining us today. Thank you all so much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Absolute pleasure. And thank you, too, to everyone listening to our glimpse into MOT's production of Cavalleria Rusticana. We hope to see you as we kick off MOT's 50th anniversary season at Meadowbrook's Amphitheater on May 15th. To purchase tickets to Cavalleria Rusticana or to find more information on the production, visit our website at michiganopera.org. You can also connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks to Jake Neer and WDET for their assistance in producing this podcast, and we'll see you at the opera.